The Ringer Wrestling Show is getting you closer to all things pro wrestling. The Masked Man Show with David and Kaz drops every Thursday on the feed, along with a new show hosted by pro wrestling superfan Evan Mack called Mac Mania. Plus, hear instant reactions to all the biggest WWE pay-per-view events with our post-pay-per-view shows. Check out The Ringer Wrestling Show on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I remember what the two of us got you in a tackle. Uh, <laughs> I remember that. Remember that? I got carried off. Hi everyone, welcome to Writer's House on Ring RC. Hope you're all safe and well. Today we're going to be joined by Mayowa Quadri, Ryan Hunt, and my good friend, one of my favourite pundits, one of the best, Jamie Carragher, as it's Liverpool versus Arsenal this weekend. We'll talk a bit about that, the rivalry, plus the art of defending and our different journeys into football. Hope you enjoy. Carragher, this is Mayowa and Ryan Hunt. How are we, boys? You okay? Good, thanks, man. Good. How's it going, my friend? Yeah, I'm all good, mate. Did you do the game last night? I did, to be honest, Carragher. It was, um, I said, I said on the telly last night, listen, even if we were 40%, we're, we're probably com- coming out of that group. And it's very hard not to get excited about it because I know that what we're capable of as a team, if Gareth can get it right, which you, you're hoping he can. That must be the, the hardest motivational job, like, in the world, like, that's like Gary V levels of motivation needed, like to convince these guys. Is to that come for back. the players or for Ricey doing his punditry? <laughs> <laughs> you know, did you play in that game against somebody? You know, what, when Stuart, when Stuart Pearce yeah. on a bad pat, yeah, I was there. I scored four in it. Harry Kane equaled me last yeah. night. Oh, did you score four in that game? Wasn't that like 50, 50% of all your England goals, wasn't it, in that game? Wasn't it? 50%, of, <laughs> 50% of all my England goals. <laughs> and it's really weird, Jay, because last night they flicked on. You know the bit where, you know, sometimes the camera's on you when you, when you don't know they've recorded you? And I genuinely done a face, like an Oscar face, like, fuck, man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> in those sort of games, though, yeah, you know when you're playing teams like that? Like, yeah. How many times do you like say it's still nil nil or let's keep going? But it's like I'm sure like yeah. after, after like the fifth goal, it's kind of like you know what? Yeah, there's yeah, yeah, just yeah, yeah. Like, we, don't, we don't need that nil nil mentality, <laughs> that clean sheet mentality. Straight from the whistle, boys. Straight from the whistle. You know we're gonna go because because we, we're gonna obviously with Liverpool because Liverpool because I'm scarred for life right with Liverpool because when I was growing up it was all Liverpool. My big brother's massive Liverpool fan, and I remember we watched all the European games. And when I, when I did finally started playing, and I remember Palace, we got to the first division. Me, Brighty, at, we was all looking at when are we playing Liverpool or Anfield, right? And fuck me, honestly, when, when I got there, it was everything, even driving up the roads, getting there, seeing it, seeing this is Anfield thing, you know, when you think, and I was scared, James, I was going to touch it. I didn't touch it. I thought it was disrespectful, so you don't touch it because it's for the Liverpool players. And we got beaten 9-0, bro. You should have touched it right. <laughs> no, man. We got... <laughs> when you see people come down the tunnel, did like, opposing players touch it? No, I, I never I never saw opposing players touch that. Uh, I think the only person I remember touching it was uh, was Gennard Ullier when he came back as a uh, manager of Aston Villa. Yeah. He actually got a little bit of stick off the, uh, the Villa fans. So I think it'd be interesting to watch Stevie go down the tunnel. Wow. Uh, in a few weeks oh. and see what he does. Uh, 
with the sign. But I mean, I was like that as a Liverpool player when I first got on the team. It's a little bit like that, you know, are you allowed to touch it? You, mm. you know, have you got to just be John Barnes or Ian Rush or you know, a legendary figure? But in the end, we got the hang of it. Yeah. You know what, James? When I, I was going to say as well, like I said, we got hammered nine nil, and so Liverpool are always. Anytime I see any kind of result where people are getting out, I always think back to to the Liverpool. But all that diff- that that's, that aside, when with you, Jane, when I remember when when I you started to get in the team, what year was it, Jane, when you got in the team? Because I remember you was kind of I remember you playing in the midfield with Incy one game. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, I remember the two of us got you in a tackle. Uh, <laughs> I remember. <laughs> remember that? I got carried off. Yeah, I remember. It was a uh, user thought that he won the league. Yeah, and it was a. Uh, I think he was just getting ready for the cup final. I think it was 98. Yeah, yeah. So I, uh, I made my debut in early 97. So 90, 96, 97 season. And then that was the year after 97, 98. We beat you 4-0. But yes. We, you, won the league. you were getting ready for the cup final. Yeah, but Jamie, you know what? I was, I was quite... Because um, I was even was speaking to somebody the other day and I was, people were talking about Jamie Carragher carrying the ball out of defence and this, all that sort of stuff. And I was saying, no, I remember watching Jamie Carragher playing against Jamie Carragher in the midfield. And Jamie is very, he was good in there. Link, like the way he was passing the ball. It's almost like a, a holding midfielder kind of vibe you had in there back then. Yeah, well, that's what I was, basically. So when we won the, the Youth Cup in 96, I was central midfield. So I'd gone back from centre forward uh, a couple of years before when I'd left the Livershaw, the National School. Mm. So when we started playing the Youth Cup, and uh, there's a funny clip, actually, I've just put up on a... On Twitter, someone shows me getting interviewed after the game. Yeah. I'm not sure you put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, it went, it went from there, really. And then when I got in the team, I was uh, I was playing midfield with Incy a lot. Jamie was having a few injury yeah. problems. John Barnes had moved on. And uh, that season, yeah, I got loads of games in midfield. And I loved it. I played in the... Uh, one of my first real big games in midfield was actually a hybrid that season. So, even though you won the double, uh, we beat you twice. Yes. You remember when Stevie Max scored the Stevie's got from the throw on someone, bam, and he just went, yeah. bam, 25 yard from it. Yeah, I was against Petit in midfield that day, me and Jamie Redknapp, and then it was me and NC, I think, uh, later on the season. But yeah, yeah, listen, I was just, when you're a youngster, you're trying to get games in different positions. But I think it was better for me at, at that age to play midfield because I see it's a lot to ask as a, as a centre-back as a young kid. Yeah, but Jamie, you went from centre-forward midfield to centre-half. How comes you was, like, defence, did you enjoy defending more than any of the other positions because I want to talk about the defending and anybody now you look at and you say yeah I could see he's going to be this and he's going to do that in respects of a defender he's going to be top man he's going to he's not going to go can you see somebody you can look at and say yeah the art of defending now is it different to when you're doing your stuff yeah yeah it is different and that's that's not a criticism it's actually praise really because I think I do think centre-back now is the most difficult position on the pitch maybe centre-forward because you have the pressure of scoring goals but in terms of defenders now, we do expect almost every defender to be able to really play football from the back. And a lot of those players are in that position for reasons that maybe they're good in the air, they're powerful, they're quick. And now, if, if someone can't you know, build up from the back, you're going to have a real problem of playing at the top level. So it's really interesting watching me, me some play at the moment when uh, he's that... How old is he? He's 18. Right. And, he, and he's just... Uh, He's laying and he's at Wigan, but it's funny standing next to me. Dad's watching him, <laughs> and uh, they're getting obviously encouraged to play from the black. He's coming out with the ball. I mean, my dad's nearly having a heart attack <laughs> because that just wasn't the way it yeah. was when we were younger. And, I, and I'm stood there not feeling too worried about it because I'm thinking, even if he makes mistakes, that's what he has right. to do. If he can't do that, he's not going to get where he wants to be. So you almost have to accept now that 
you know, centre-backs are going to be knocking the balls to each other on the six-yard box, using the goalkeeper. And that's the way the game's gone. And I think for the better, mm. to be honest. And it certainly wasn't something we were encouraged to do, really, when we, we were younger. We were Liverpool, we played for Arsenal, yeah. top clubs, so you're still expected to play good yeah. football. But the, the way the game's gone now, and I think Pep's Barcelona changed all that. You know, we used to see PK and Piol receiving the ball in the box on the six-yard box from Valdez. Maserano. Maserano playing there as well, James. Watching Maserano play there, it was always confusing, but he was, that was the kind of start of it for me, watching someone play who's not the stereotypical size. It's not six foot, no. Exactly. (laughs) But playing out like that, starting it from there. It was amazing to watch. Yeah, I mean, it it is unbelievable. And I go back to possibly when, when you were playing, and you were one of these as well, righty, but... I think Ian Rush was really famous for being, you know, one of the first strikers to really press yes. from the front. Yeah. And we see that from sort of almost every striker now. But possibly Liverpool at that stage, you think of Hanson and Lawrenson, but yeah. very few defenders were asked to bring the ball out or really start the, you know, the attack from defence. And I just think the game now, you, you can't be, I'm good at this. You've almost got to be good yeah. at everything. You, you won't be nine out of ten at everything. But you've got to be able to tick a lot of boxes now, certainly if you want to play uh, at the top end of the pitch where it's not just about scoring goals. Yeah. You've got to press what you're doing from the team. And the same in defensively now. If you're just a defender, if you like to put his foot in and be aggressive, you get a good living out of the game. But I think you might find it tough to play for England or play for a Champions League club. With what you're saying, Jamie, do you reckon that it's made it more fashionable to be a defender or a centre-back then? Because I think about when I was growing up, and like all the kids in the playground, naturally you just wanted to be a striker. Everyone would chase the ball and want to score. But because now with defending, there is this sort of more glamorous side of, you know, progressing the ball, you know, you get a lot of the ball. You, you, you're very important to the team attacking-wise. Do you reckon that it's an enabling a future generation to say, I want to play defence. I don't want to just necessarily come in as a striker. I actually want to be a centre-back. I think you're right. I really do. Because uh, I actually made a comment a few years ago about no one wanted to get up to be a Gary Neville. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but look at the fullbacks now. It's probably what yeah. you could argue the I most know. important position. If you look at like attacking fullbacks. Exactly. People want to be a Trent Alexander now. People want to be a Trent. One of my good friends, like, he's on this crusade of preaching the gospel of attacking fullbacks and saying that football doesn't exist without attacking fullbacks. And if you look at most of the top teams now, the pair of fullbacks is so important. Defensively attacking, it's it's the, a, a key component. So, yeah, I mean, maybe they didn't want to be a Gary Neville then, but like the importance of, of fullbacks has definitely shifted for sure, 100%. But it was funny because I had a spell of playing fullback for about three or four years and I'd never played there as a kid. And what I found, the first thing I found, and this is like going back just 15, 20 years, was how much of the ball you got. So even though at that stage I wanted to play midfield, I was actually getting more of the ball at fullback and, and being involved in the game. And it sort of just, just opened me opened my eyes really to how important fullbacks really are. Yeah. Just through the experience of playing there. But and and it, it then became where a fullback was then getting judged on how many crosses he put in and not how many crosses he stopped. Yeah. And it feels like we're getting to that territory now with centre back there. We're actually judging them by how many attacks they start, how many times they break the lines, how many passes they make, how many forward passes they make. And yes, obviously the defender can keep a clean sheet, stop the opposition. But the game's become now so technical that players who we just you know expected to almost try and kill mm. the game, we're actually to start the game and we're judging them on that. So I'm sure right, it'll be the same when we, we analyse a centre-back on match of the day mm. or Monday night football. 
it's not just like aerial duels or challenges. It's it's past completion. Yeah. Did he pass forward? Did he step in? What was his positional play like? Did he start the attacks from the back? So we're seeing a lot more rounded footballers now. Do you think, Jamie, um, that your experience at playing in different positions helps when you finally settled in at centre-back? And if so, like, was there anything specific you can remember from various positions that you applied to when you became like a, a regular centre-back at Liverpool? Well, I, I think the experience of being a centre-forward as a kid, I think helped when I went to centre-back in terms of what I, what I wanted to do as a centre-forward and how I wanted to play. I think that did as well. I think, I think playing in midfield was interesting in terms of, uh, you know, I, I always think there's this argument in a team. You, you'll get the midfield players telling the defence to push up. And you get the defenders telling the midfielders to press. So it's always one or the other. It's you need to do both. But I've been in teams where, you know, if the midfield players aren't pressing, we can't push up. No. But if we're not pushed up the midfield players, then we can't go and press because there's someone behind us. And it's just getting that balance right between the two. So I think that helped me a little bit when I went to centre-back as well in that position. But you said before about people growing up being defenders. I mean, I was a kid scoring loads of goals for all the teams I played. So it wasn't a case of when I was a kid, I loved defending. But I did love telling right. people what to do. I was just that type of player who always spoke on a pitch and always organised. Mm. And even as a kid, I found that difficult from centre forward. Yeah. Because I'd almost be telling other people what to do. And that's one of the reasons why I went back into midfield. Because I wanted to be in the middle of the pitch, organising everyone around me. But I wasn't good enough to play at the top level in midfield, technically. Uh, I'd have probably done a job in the, in the Premier League, maybe bottom half of the Premier League, top of the Championship. But I wouldn't have been good enough. But my understanding of the game was good enough. And I think that's the biggest part of being a centre-back. It's your understanding of the game, reading the mm. game. You don't have to do that much running. It's not about being the fittest or the quickest, but it's just about being in the right place at the right time. And that was, that was, that was me playing to my strengths, really. I remember when you did the, the piece with Lukaku a while back when he was at Everton and he was telling you about the move he does where he puts his arm across and said, if I get you in this position, it's game over. And I think it was yeah. last, it was this season against Juve, I think it might have been Benucci, where Benucci was like, I'm not getting put in this position. And you could tell that was the art of defending to a T. He knew that he couldn't put himself in compromising positions. He had to slip away from that. And that's some of the things that doesn't always get, you know, spoken about when it comes to defending because it, maybe it's not as glamorous but do you think that art of defending that canniness that knowing where to be the communication the little side steps you need to make do you think that art is being lost a little bit mm. because we're so focused on maybe progressing and going forwards that we're not talking about those intricate details that Which make the fun so yeah that matter so much I, I totally agree and, and what was amazing or certainly the, the one amazing thing from uh, the Euros was in the final obviously we were disappointed with the result but just watching the performance of the two centre-backs because we are now being brought up and fed how centre-backs have to play and I don't think that's going to change and I don't think we're wrong championing that but it was brilliant to see a throwback with Benucci and Chiellini I, I mean Chiellini put in a performance at Wembley a few yeah. years before against Harry Kane for, uh, for against Tottenham in the Champions League where he, he was unbelievable and it's almost there's still a place for that and, and, I, and I just thought watching them was just brilliant you know almost like an education of just sort of that aggression being on the front foot yeah. being horrible to play against yeah the dark arts like the dark arts performed in a, such a beautiful way it just it made me feel horrible watching it but you, you the appreciation that 
it needs to be done is is something that needs to be there. Right? I loved I loved it, mate. You know, I lo- I, I remember there was a bit where in the fight when Saka, what summed Italy up to me to a T was he just he didn't have no qualms, and I loved it about Italy. We don't do it blatantly, just stopping him. I ain't got no problem with that, James. I ain't got no problem with that. You know what I mean? It's something that I feel yeah. that if we're going to go to the very top, it's like when Suarez, remember Suarez against Ghana in the World Cup? Bam. Mm. You know, got sent oh, off. I don't, know. I don't know, man. I think we've got, I think we've got people who could do that now. Yeah. You think that, who, who you think would, who would you, who would you nominate? Who would you nominate the team? That's the- Name names, Ryan. Jordan Henderson is a hundred percent siding <laughs> someone down. Like, and Jordan Henderson would take one. 100%, he would take that But shot. they all would. Like, he would like take Harry Kane, shot. for example. Harry Kane is, I mean, if you ask a load of defenders who played against him, they'll all be like that fucker. I bet. Like he's like Burkamp, he gets away with it. Yes. Yeah. I think that England team is a lot more like gnarly yeah. than people. He's got a little bit more nastiness <laughs> yeah. about it. Yeah. Jane, with the punditry stuff, I've got to ask you because you now, I didn't realize, Jane, that you you was. Uh, I knew you went to Lillyshaw because was, was you there with Jermaine Defoe and them man or Salt? Who was you there with? I, I was in between them. Salt was a few years older than me, and Jermaine mm. was a couple of years younger. I was there with the uh, Trevor Sinclair. No, he's a bit older. Stephen Clements was in my year. Stephen group. Clements, he, yeah. Tottenham. Gavin McCann, who played for Everton and Sunderland. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Did you like it? Did you like yeah, it, Jay? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And uh, I went to see my daughter last night, right? See, she's in a performing arts school. Of course, yes. She's a dancer, man. I went to watch the play. So that's why I never saw the England game. I went to watch her in a play last night. Right. And it just brought me back of all the kids running around this school, boarding school, and just the things we got up to, the yeah. mates that we still got. And I just said to you'll still be mates with all these people in 20 years' time. And we, we got together. The lads from uh, from Liverpool about yeah. two years ago, so it was twenty five years since we'd left, and we joined in uh, nineteen ninety two. Yeah, so we're all on a group chat, and we're it's the real class of ninety two. <laughs> wow, <laughs> it's a proper, it's unbelievable, isn't it? So when you think of that, James, because you can remember when you were amongst that, because with Liverpool, I remember I, it was my dream to be. I just wanted to be at a club when I was a kid, just at a club and be that camaraderie. Mm. But to be at the, a club where it's elite because you lot were elite for your age at that stage. Did what's it like, Jane, when you go back seeing that probably who else made it with you? Who else was there who got to your level? I, I was probably the, the standout one in our group from what I achieved. I wasn't the standout one in the group when we were there right. because I was probably the smallest in the group uh, in terms of physically. I mean, some of the lads there, Marlon Brooms, Ronnie Warwalk, who played a few games for Man United. They were, they were like men mm. at sort of 15, 16. So I had a lot of catching up to do uh, physically. Uh, I mean, the year below me, I mentioned Jody played Premier League. Yeah. Uh, Mark Gower, do you remember him? He played a bit for Spurs and Swansea. He was the year below. And Michael Owen came the year after that. So you obviously have a two-year period. Yeah. So I had a year above me. Then I became a senior. Jody's group came underneath me. So I was involved with three groups, really. And then Michael came after me. Uh so I wouldn't say anyone in my sort yeah. of couple of years end up sort of playing for England or whatever, but there were some great success stories. And, and you mentioned Sol. He was sort of like the the big standard bearer, really, because in those early years, I don't think too many went on to, to make, you know, make too much of themselves. Football's amazing, man, because you both come from different schools of sort of getting to the top. But right, even if you think back to sort of your pathway, you know, playing with the boys and the estates and everything and how people and clubs and you were still pushing through. If you look back to that circle now, you could probably say the same about yourself in a way that there's a few people older than you that were kind of in clubs. There's a few people after you around the estate that maybe went through afterwards, but you in a position yeah. where 
you almost became that standard bearer, really, if you think about it. Yeah, but it's really strange because you don't actually think about it until you actually, like, you get, like, when I go back to the ends. Yeah. And you see people and you see all those guys who were meant to be good, all the guys who were on trial and they never got nowhere near it. And you, you then you think to yourself, because I, I, I look at it and I think, yeah, I was desperate to play and I always wanted to play, constantly play Sunday morning. But I, I don't know. I don't know why it was me and not them. And it's, it's, it's really strange because I know for a fact there was four or five of them who just, like you say, James, they, they had the big legs. They, they had, you know what really I used to notice more than anything else? How much hair people had <laughs> on their legs. Like, there's so much fucking yeah. hair on their legs. Just things like that. They had beard. They started, they had, you know what I mean? I, I, I was a late bloomer, man, with everything. It was really weird because like when I was great, I always thought like, why am I so fucking small? You know, I was, I was quick as everybody, I left foot, right foot, I've done everything. And then that's why when I think of Jamie and Lillishaw, it would have been my dream to have been in a place where I'm playing football and you could go to school for football and you're boarding school. Cause I didn't even want to be at, at my house. Mm. Remember, I didn't even want to be in the house. So mm. if being at somewhere like Lillishaw, playing football and trying to learn, it would have, that was the dream. So. I'd see mine as like scraping through. Yes, you get there in the end. But if I could have chosen a way to go to, to, to get to a professional level, it would have been Jamie's way. It would have been how you've done it, Jamie. I, I definitely think though young players, and even though I went to Little Show, don't get me wrong, I was, I was a late developer. So I was certainly no superstar when I was there. I was obviously rated as a good player. But I, I do think as a youngster, and you're talking about your experience, righty, that you need mm-hmm. to have ups and downs. And I think they've done studies on this for young players. A lot of players who don't have any sort of trauma all the way through, when they maybe get to 17, 18, and they, and they have that first bit of they're not getting picked or maybe a certain coach change and they don't like them, they've almost never had rejection or they've never had that before and they find it difficult actually to come through it. So I do think everyone's journey does play a huge part. And you're obviously part, you'd love to have gone to the show, but this thing of Sunday League football and why I made it and others didn't, when you watch you play, your enthusiasm as a player was off the scale, and that, and that for me is 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 be one of the reasons why. Because you know, if if you could match someone's enthusiasm and they've got the ability, it's it's a no brainer. They should get there, and that's that's what I'm saying. You've had to fight, and you keep fighting. Mm. And I did to a certain extent uh, through Liverpool because I wasn't the biggest or strongest, and then I got to Liverpool and I wasn't. It wasn't playing Salem when I first got to Liverpool again because physically I wasn't up to it. Uh, yeah. And you just got to keep fighting. And I just think sometimes that that inner fighting, you just catch it over the line in the end and keeps you going. The way you break down the games, James, I watched the Monday Night Football. I'm not even joking. It's like, I fucking love it, bro. The way you break it down, James, have you always had that? Is it is it because you played striker, midfield, right back, centre half? Or was you always somebody James, who could just like see it in the game? Because I can only see it from a forward going backwards. I, you know what I mean? You seem to see it from every angle. Jame, on that, before you answer that, how many times in training did you go, can you stop it right here? <laughs> did you do that, Jay? Honestly, I love that. I, I must get sent that every day on social media. I try, I try and it always apply to them. Is it? I do love them ones. And, and now when I'm doing it, I think I have to do it. I have to keep it going. Now, I can't stop doing, just stop it there. I've got to keep that going. But uh, to, to be honest, right, I think, I think maybe playing different position gives you a, an understanding a little bit more of positions. Mm. But if, if I describe myself as a player or anyone describe me as a player or, the, or they described you, 
So you'd say, what's the first mm. thing you think of when you think of Ian Wright? You'd think goals, you know, pace, you, you, you know, they're the mm. first thing that come to my head. When I think of myself as a player, and I don't know what you'd say, I actually don't think I had an outstanding quality in terms of, you know, uh, say, for instance, Rio Ferdinand, other centre-backs, Rio Ferdinand, John Terry. So you think of Rio Ferdinand, mm. you think of a Royals Royce, you think of playing with the ball, you know, six foot three, John Terry, absolutely yeah. massive, wins everything in the air, all these type of things. Whereas me, I was, I was just okay at everything. But the one thing that I think I had that made me play at the level that I did was me understanding football. And yeah. that came from when I was a kid. I've always had that. And I was watching men's football from the age of five or six, watching my dad's team. He was a manager, going in the van with right. the team, going to watch Everton home and away as a kid. I was always around football. I was always reading about football and watching football and listening to men, whether it was in a pub mm. after my me, me dad's amateur game or whether it was on the coach back from uh, Everton's away game or, you know, getting the car or the taxi back from Goodison. Listening to men talk about football, watching football. And it was just, I just love football. I still read everything now, mm. watch everything now. So I always had a better understanding of the game than probably almost anybody in the, in the dressing rooms I was in. Uh, so that mm. always helped me play. So I, I ended up playing centre-back. I'm not even six foot. I'm not the strongest. I'm not the quickest. But I understood what Benitez wanted, when we should push up, when we should drop off, the positions we should be in. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm like, right, I'm quite opinionated as well. So that always helps with the air to tell you as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, but James, when you do your stuff, when I was younger, because I didn't, I wasn't, I never got myself in a situation where I could watch something with that much insight. Do you understand? While you're doing it, Jame, I, I know you, you obviously enjoy doing it because I enjoy doing it. Afterwards, you, you get messages saying, thanks for that. I didn't really see that. Do you get those messages, Jame? Do you feel like, yeah, I like that. You know, I've given that insight and somebody said, that was brilliant. Thanks a lot for yeah, that. Yeah, I, I do love that, right? I do, I do like finding things that other people haven't seen. And, and mm. to, be, to be honest, we're on completely different shows in that, you know, match of the day, show the highlights mm. of the game and the goals. And the goals are obviously the biggest thing in football. Yeah. But because we come a couple of days after you, everyone's seen the goals on match of the day, on the phones, whether they've been in the game. Sky Sports News has shown the goals all day. Mm. There's not a lot more we can add to the goals, really. We've got to say, well, why did the goals happen? Mm. So we've probably got to, got to go a little bit deeper into not actually watching a goal, but how did the back four play? How did the midfield play? So, I mean, sometimes I'll watch a game and I'll just watch it straight back again. You know, so Arsenal-Tottenham game, we did a piece on that. Mm. Tottenham were all over the place. Yeah. So I can see that in the game. Everyone can see it. It's obvious. So then I, ju I just watched it again straight away without the commentary on yeah. and just stopping it, rewinding, wow. pausing it. And You're doing that at home, Jame? Yeah, because I, I wasn't doing that game. I was just in the house and I was doing Monday Night Football the next day. So I watched the game like everyone. So I do think there's a difference between watching the game and analysing the game. Mm. I think when you're watching the game and you listen to the commentary, you'll see a few things. But I think when you turn the commentary off as well, and it, you can just see things a lot more. Your senses really. open up, don't they? Because it's, yeah, it's you, you. Can, you know, brilliant now with the Sky Go or Sky Plus. You just you can stop it right away, rewind it. And just getting little different clips. So I, I watched that game straight. I watched it well, basically twice in a row. Jesus Christ. Uh, they have in, in Germany on Sky, they have, um, you can watch it on the tactical cam. Just watching it on the tactical cam without 
any commentary, you just see the patterns open up yeah. like, way easier because you're because the camera is not following the action. You just get the whole thing. Well, we, we have one of them, Ryan, on Monday Night Football. So when we're doing our show, mm. and I'm still badgering Ricey to get him on, we need the legend on. I read something what you said about the Rio and the John Terry and then with England and why you retired and why totally understood it because I was exactly the same with England, with Shearer, with Sheringham, with, with, with all the players that are around, with Robbie, who I, I don't care what anyone says. We're going to say English. For me, Robbie Fowler is the best finish I've ever seen. So I accepted, and it was really good to read when you said, yeah, I accepted, yeah, they were better than me. They were better than me, but I'm, I, and I, can't, I can't get to that level where they are, especially with the managers and the way they were. But it made me feel a lot more, I don't know, James, I was able to kind of like digest it and say, yeah, I'm quite pleased that someone else has said, listen, yeah, we, I played elite level. I've won the big, the big trophies. But I couldn't quite get, fucking get them out. I couldn't do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, th- th- those two are amazing. I, I mean, absolutely love the two of them. Brilliant players. And it's just, you know, walking, you can, you know, at the time we were winning the Champions League and getting to another Champions League mm. final. And they, they were doing the same, to be fair, at the time with their clubs. But, they were they were just they were just brilliant players really and I I I could never be better than them. Was you was you angry, James? Was you like bitter? No, you know the problem was I uh, right, see, I probably wasn't angry enough. Maybe. And yeah, me I too. Oh, that's the one regret I have with England. I probably just accepted they were better than me. Now mm. when I think about what else could I have done, I was playing as well as I could do for Liverpool. But with England I almost went, they are amazing. Mm. I mean, I was never gonna be better than John Terry in the year. I was never going to be quicker than Rio Ferdinand. I was never going to be better on the ball than either of them because people forget how good John Terry was on mm. the ball. He was humble. What about in the three, James? Mm. I mean, you in the middle, them, you on the right or the left in the three with them, with them two? Yeah, maybe. Well, I mean, we, we tried it in Croatia actually under Steve McLaren. It didn't work particularly well. That was the end of that one. But, uh, but no, right, honestly, there's a lot better players than me who got less yep. caps for yep. England than me. So I'd, I'd never complain about my role for England. We had two world-class centre-backs. They were fantastic. And, uh, you know, I'm more than happy with what I achieved. But you, you, know, you know what it's like. You always Absolutely. want more, don't you? A lot of the time, it happens to a lot of footballers, right, where their, their biggest trait is their mindset or their IQ. But the manifestation yeah. of that isn't always, you know, ball manipulation or ball playing and everything. Do you think that is dangerous in the game because not everyone appreciates those intricate details of you know like you said the communication the positioning on the pitch do you think that can affect players because one player that comes into mind a lot for me is someone like Jorginho right where people kind of look and say what is his role but when you understand sort of the bigger picture and what he is to the team and his footballing IQ you then realise what he's there to do in that team do you think that someone like you that being your biggest trait being football IQ may have affected people's perceptions of you during your career. No, I, I agree. I'm a big fan of Jorginho and he's, we always talk about a fan's type of player or a manager's type of player. And it's funny when Sarri come in yeah. and it was almost like Jorginho was mm. the system, mm. you know, and I actually think that season is not remembered enough by Chelsea fans. I mean, the, I think they won the European trophy against Arsenal. They finished third behind City and Liverpool, who both got 99 or 100 points. And they took City to a cup final and lost on penalties. And that was just Sarri's one season. But in terms of Jorginho, I think he's close to winning the Ballon d'Or, would you believe? You'd have said that two years Mm. ago, you know, with winning the Champions League. But he does knit things together. And what was really interesting was, I think when Frank came in, in his head, 
the criticism Jorginho would have the year before and what he'd watched. I think in his head, he's thinking, I'm getting mm. rid of Jorginho and I'm putting Kante there and I've got Billy Gilmore coming through. And then as soon as Lampard is in the club, Jorginho plays because he he knows mm. how good a player he is. He cannot leave him out. At one stage, it looked like he was trying to get him out, but he sees the quality, sees what he brings. Now, to be honest, I, I, I mean, I, I get your point and just whether the point you're making is that uh, I wasn't rated very highly and people didn't see uh, different qualities, I can assure you. That uh, doesn't worry me about it. Uh, I did yeah. all right and did the, probably the best I was ever going to do for my sort of ability, really. And, and, and I'm not knocking no. myself and thinking I didn't have no ability. But when you're talking about playing at the Champions League level or playing at a World Cup, or talking about the best players mm. in the world, I didn't have natural qualities to cope with them, but I had a brain that could cope to be on that football pitch and I actually I wouldn't say I prefer that I'm glad that's me that I've got a great understanding of mm. the game really because I think it helps me whether I've gone into coaching or management or the job that I do now and I don't see that enough really and that's what frustrated me and actually maybe stopped me a little bit going into coaching and managing because even though I've said before I don't think I was a, a great player I was in a team full of great players who had these great qualities, but a lot of them didn't have a foot, like the brain of their understanding mm. of the game. And I'd be playing for Liverpool, and we'd be getting to Champions League quarters, semis and finals. And I'd be getting frustrated on a daily basis when I watch players make decisions. I couldn't understand it. And I'm thinking, this is mm. the top level. Mm. So if I want to be a coach or a manager, I'm probably going to have to go to the Championship or League One. And I was thinking, oh, I'm not sure I could do that. No, no disrespect, but I thought I've got high standards in terms of understanding the game, my focus, my enthusiasm. Yeah. I'm not sure coaching or managing is for me because I used to get frustrated with my own teammates on a football pitch because I wanted to win, but also because I couldn't understand how some of these top players with great qualities were making these decisions. I couldn't understand it. That's actually the part of professional football that blows my mind in terms of fandom in that how people... Like to me personally, I've always thought this uh, professional football is or what makes a player great is 50-50. It's 50% how good they are and 50% what their decisions are. Yeah. And you can have all the ability in the world and make the worst decisions. This is why, for example, I always used to kind of go to go to war for Mesut Ozil because even when people were like pointing to drops in stats, it's like watch him for 90 minutes and watch how many poor decisions he makes. It's like mm -hmm. very few. And the problem with that is that sometimes the best decisions end up being the most boring ones. And therefore people who just watch it on eye test are like, nah, he's rubbish. But people will applaud the intent for a pass that never was never on. on. Yeah. Because they see, you know, it's like when people applaud corners, you know, it's just like, why? You know, statistically, this isn't really great for us, <laughs> even if we're attacking. But uh, Jamie, I wanted, to, <laughs> I wanted to ask you something about club level because you play for Liverpool, right? You played for Arsenal. It's Liverpool-Arsenal this weekend. Um, it's a rivalry that goes back a long, long way. And kind of weird in a way, if you think about it, because it's very rare. Well, there have been very few moments in history where Arsenal and Liverpool have been at their peak at the yeah. same time. Both very cyclical clubs. Liverpool way more dynastic than Arsenal have ever been. I wanted to ask you, and maybe then get righty in as well, about your memories of playing in this fixture? From where I came from, when I, I first started watching football in 1984-85 and was an Everton fan. And I don't think it was a great period for Arsenal, right, well, those sort of mid-early 
he made wow. the easy. So I always remember coming in, it was almost, it felt like it was Tottenham and, and Liverpool were almost the rivals. Tottenham went for the title in 84, 85 yeah. with the, I think Peter Shreves was the manager. They'd won the UEFA Cup the year before. So it felt like for me, Tottenham were like this big team in London as a kid. And uh, Everton won there uh, late on in that season to win the league, really. And then Arsenal came a little bit later as Everton were falling yeah. away. And it was that sort of 89 and also yeah. Liverpool win it back in 90. And then 91 Arsenal come back as well. And uh, that's when it really sort of come to the fore with me, with uh, with obviously George Graham and, and how good those teams were. And yeah. you talk about the invincible team. I'm, I'm well yeah. aware of the team yeah. in 91. You only lost one game, and that was away at Chelsea. Yeah, one game. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that, and uh, that was that was a special team. And then you just started picking cups up as well. Uh, so yeah, I, I was well aware of not so much the Liverpool rivalry. I think that maybe came on the back of of eighty nine, going for the title for a few years, and then when uh, my first game, I'm trying to think, it must have been that game of Highbury, my first game where McManaman scored. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then I think the rivalry sort of built up again a little bit because of you know the two Frenchmen in the dugout, yeah. and there was no doubt you had the best one. I loved Gerard Houllier, but it always felt like whoever we'd buy, you'd buy someone better. So I, I always <laughs> use this example really. In two thousand one, we won three cups, beat you yeah. in a cup final. Yeah, but the next year you won the league. Whereas we bought Heskey, you bought Thierry Henry. Mm. Whereas we bought Nick Barnby. And, and the reason I'm using these examples is the similar prices and right. the same positions. Right. So we bought Nick Barnby for six million. I think you bought Perez for six million. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and that's Wenger. See, yeah, but that's Wenger's like, Wenger's pull and he's, yeah. the, the fact that what he knew, it's like bringing, it's like when he just, when he came, before he got there, one of his stipulations was, go and get Fiera. And yeah, because two and a half million. Yeah, and then what he said, I think it's free, free, three point six or something. I'm not sure. Oh, was it something like that? But I remember, I done an interview with him not like the other day, Jamie, and he said because people were saying asking who and this and that, he says, I make sure I got a player that when they saw that player play, they say, well, that manager knows what he's doing. Yeah, you know, but it was his first game away at Blackburn. I remember Vieira yeah. playing at Blackburn and oh. playing some lovely passes. Yeah, he's amazing. Played that one to him, didn't he? That yeah, that one with the outside of the foot from about. 20 yards away. Yeah, it just sticks in my head that. Yeah, but also your your touch with the outside of your foot as well is just <laughs> fucking... You know what? It's just like really strange because like what you'd get now, you get some love from people. You see it put because you, you put it on there uh, and you put it on the feet and then people say nice touch and that. But at the time, I all, I never felt, right, all the, when I was playing and I got any cut, the, the real credit for how I played. I remember done doing Gary Neville's um, soccer box thing. And there was some stuff that I'd done on it, the link-up play, where people used to say, yeah, he's link-up. If I, was, if I believed what the press and the people were saying about me, I'd be fucking a nervous wreck because I'm watching that game. It's a massive game. We beat Man United 3-2. And my link-up play, I was fucking running channels. I was closing people down. I was taking people on. I was doing everything. And you think to yourself, fucking hell, I don't get no credit for that kind of part of my game. <laughs> we all got that. We all don't feel we get enough credit. <laughs> Tell me what you do, righty, though that uh, <laughs> some of the goals you scored, I mean, the famous one everyone talks about, I, I wouldn't have liked at the time because I was an Everton fan, was there when you, when you do Southall. But a goal that I love that we never see in football, and we very rarely see anyone chip a keeper, yeah, do we? Yeah. I know. And that goal you scored at Leeds, and there was another one you scored in a cup, and the other team... Oh, that was against Yeovil. But Yeovil. Yeovil. And you just ping, and it just like dinked the keeper, and it went right in the top corner. Yeah. 
What, why don't we see chips no more? I don't know why, why people... Are, yeah, but Jamie, I, I think... Yeah, but the thing with with chips like that, James, it's like even... You watch Arsenal and you watch them for a while until recently. Their goals are very, like, fucking... It's like, pass it here, then you go here. There's no chaos yeah. in the game. There's no, like, oh, all of a sudden, all the, the defenders... I know the goalkeeper's off his line here. You just, just chip it because the worst thing that's going to happen is it, I, you get it wrong, he goes over the bar. You get it wrong, he catches it. If you get it right, it's like a fucking moment. And so you yeah. don't see people scoring goals like that. I remember, you know, who I used to love is Romario. Mm, I could yeah. fucking watch him all day. Toe right? Toe pokes, chips, just clever finishes, just like that. And you do not see those kind of things. You know what else you don't see? Hardly. Like a, someone just getting past the near post and just flicking it in like a Giroud. Mm. People just yeah, doing that. He's the old, best yeah, you don't see, you, there's certain goals in that you just don't see anymore. I tell you, it's not bad at that, uh, right? If you want to keep an eye on him, yeah. Jota. I do like yeah. Jota, man. He scored four or five. Three yeah. size, yeah, he does do but that. Right, I think those goals came because of your football education, you know? Like playing Sunday League and everything, mm. being in that sort of environment, mm. that sort of expression of mixing things up and being audacious when you the know, pitches were you atrocious. Know how it happened? Probably came I'll from just that. Tell you, I'll just tell you quick how it came about, Mo, because... I was playing games by then, like Sean was like, because remember I got into Palace, I went from Sunday morning to Palace, yeah. right? So I remember Sean was like, come, like free, Bradley was just born and everything. And I was playing for, the, for, for like the 18 months previous. It was like messy stuff. I was scoring three and four goals on a Sunday, Saturdays and Sundays. And like, it wasn't nothing to me. So I would start trying to score a goal by it coming off the post after I scored three goals, I would try and actually have a shot. Remember? Yeah, the first time we met and you would say, you would tell, we, we interviewed right about the actual like breaking down the art of uh, finishing, right? And like kind of getting into the science and he was just like, yeah, I'd only play games with, where I would only score with my left foot. Only left foot. Or I'd only finish off the post. Yeah. And I'd just be like... <laughs> so you see, yeah, but then what happens is, James, is that, so I'd be trying to hit it off the post and then you, 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 you set it off on the post and it, it flies in. Or you set it off, you know, you set it off to try and hit the bar and like the goalie just gets it wrong and it goes in. So you inadvertently, you're, you're kind of training yourself to just continually hit the target. But because it was Sunday morning, I didn't even know it was just another way of trying to entertain myself in the game. And so then once I started <laughs> playing, like, you know, when I started playing, I just done the stuff. I just done the same oh, stuff. Man. And Steve Koppel, one of the best things Steve Koppel said, he said, never, never change the way you see the game in the last third, just just do your stuff. But my problem was with Jim Cannon, who I was petrified. I was scared of him. I was literally, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to be like we used to have. The canteen was close to the canteen lady Betty and the, the ex the pros. Before you go, Jim, I've got to tell you a story. Is that when I first got into Palace? So you'd have Jim Cannon, Mickey Droy was there, and they used to sit on the table closest to the canteen, and I was fucking petrified to go over there because I was so afraid of Jim Cannon because I remember even in training it was confusing for me because Steve Cop would say try your stuff this is training this is what you do and then Jim Cannon would hammer me for losing the ball in certain places on the pitch and this is why all the way through my career I was always nervous and worried about losing the ball and first touch being wrong and doing the wrong pass and trying to do that crossfield pass I remember one time I'd done one of those forward crossfield pass. I was on the right-hand side in my own half and the ball came and I tried to do the Hollywood pass across the field. It got cut out and I think they scored and Jim Cannon fucking had me up in the dressing room by my throat. <laughs> right. Poor decision-making. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd have never done that. 
Liverpool Arsenal this weekend. It's a big game for Liverpool because on the back of the United game, we've got Mm. one point out of six and that's not good enough. And we we need a big result and a big performance. And and I think Liverpool will get it because of that reason. I really expect Liverpool to be firing on a Saturday. I think Klopp, you know, having those two bad results, having the international break, you know, it's like for managers that two weeks the players aren't there, you're just, you know, stoking up inside, you're all all, all the time the players, you mm. can't wait to get them back. And uh, Liverpool needs a big performance and a big result. But I think since I've come into punditry, I'm probably not the most popular guy with the uh, Arsenal supporters because it's been a time yeah. when Arsenal have been really poor. This is the first time I feel almost excited by it because I wouldn't say because I think Arsenal are now going to compete with the top teams. But I think whenever you put young players in, you can no matter who you are, you can get you, you feel like you can get behind it and you can almost accept certain performances and certain results at certain times because of the because of the age bracket the players in. And now that will go eventually, of course, as they get older. But I love Saka, I love Emil Smith Rowe. And, and when you like someone and you like a team and you're doing the job I do, when you go into a game, you're thinking, mm-hmm. I hope they do well. You know, I, I, I hope they win tonight. I had that feeling when they were playing Aston Villa, and that doesn't mean I don't want Villa to win. I mean, I'm, I go to games, obviously, and you, if, you, if you like yeah. a certain team more than another or certain individuals, that's only human. And you can't help but think, I would like to see him do well. So I was delighted that Emil Smith Rowe got on the score sheet last night. I really like watching him play. When I watch him play, I hope he scores because I really enjoy him. So there is something about Arsenal right now. It feels like there's a coming together. The keeper, I mean, if if I've ever been wrong about a player more than Adam Ramsdale, Mm. I don't know which one it is yet. And it's still early days at Arsenal. But I remember when you scored in the last minute of the game against Palace and he ran from one end of the pitch to the other to get involved in the celebration. And I thought... There's little things that all young lads coming together. And it reminds me a little bit of us at Liverpool with Gennard Hulier, where he got rid of Evinci, Phil Babb, McAteer, uh, Robbie Fowler, you know, yeah. sort of like that Roy Evans era. And then it was like me, Danny, Stevie Gerrard, Michael Owen, John Arnarisa, This with, with a few foreign players and this sort of young team coming together. Now, we never won the league or the Champions yeah. League, but we won yeah. a few trophies. And it was that sort of... When you, and that's the team I'm most fond of yeah. when I look back at my career because I don't think there's anything better than playing with your mates, yeah. really. And I, and I always class that team as my mates. And I think these lads over the next two or three years will need more to win a league or the Champions League. But could they win a couple of FA Cups or Carlin Cups? And I know Arsenal have done that in the past and, it, and you want more. But it could be something with this young team together with Ben White coming mm. in. And you just think, yeah. There's something to get behind. I really like the right back. Yeah. He's, he's going Tommy to be yeah. yeah. it, it feels like Tierney's a fan's favourite as well. Mm. So it feels like Arsenal fans like the team. Sometimes you don't like your own team or you don't like your own players. <laughs> but it, but is, it, is it fair to say yeah. that's changed? It has now? changed. Think changed. It, sort of yeah, think it has weeks? changed. I think that he's yeah. got the team. That he's, he's, All these players, what he's got are all in. And if you're going to be totally honest, they're all performing. You know, you got like like you mentioned, Saka, uh, Saka and Emma Smith Rowe. They've come in, and they were literally when we weren't creating anything. They were the two guys who were doing everything. Two of the youngest guys in the team. Then he's brought in Tommy Asu. He's brought, you mentioned the goalie, Tommy Asu, Ben White, Gabriel. Ma- Remember, th- these guys didn't even start the season. You know, then Thomas Party, mm-hmm. who's his guy, he's coming. 
uh, Sammy Lukonga. So all of a sudden, all the players he's bought, then you've got a bit more creativity. Now you've got Lacazette now, which I quite like what they're doing with Lacazette playing the 10 with his back to go. I quite like it. And then you've got Aubameyang doing what he does. And so I think with the exuberance of the youth and the fact that, like you you rightly say, Jack, we need a lot more to bolt onto this team for them to really challenge. But it's exciting because you can start to see something. I think the Liverpool game is, is like, we should go into it and see exactly where we are. Let's go for them. Well, well they, have, they have to go for Liverpool because Liverpool's big problem this season is conceding goals. It's how many goals yeah. they concede is, is unbelievable, really. The actual goals they've scored is off the scale. So we could yeah. certainly have a great game. I'm there on the Saturday on, on, the, on the Sky doing the game. I really look yeah. forward to it. But it just, I just, just knowing Klopp and knowing these players, they have got an amazing sort of mentality. And I think they will be hating over mm. what's happened the last mm. few games. I'd be very surprised if Liverpool don't win that game. Mm. No, nothing to do with Arsenal. Yeah. But what I'll say is I think it'd be a very fast start. And if I was mm. Arsenal, I would not be playing from the back. Yeah. <laughs> I would be going long because Liverpool yeah. will be all over them. Because I think Liverpool have done that to Arsenal in the last sort of two yeah. or three years. I think there was one game of doing I Emery oh, where God. Liverpool won the ball lock off Arsenal in Arsenal's fire, uh, first yeah. third so yeah. many times. And kept with doing it. And kept doing it. I, I would expect something similar if Arsenal try and play out from the back. Because I, I think Liverpool with the crowd and needing a result, I think Salamane or Jota, everyone, Fabinho, Henderson behind them. They'll be flying everywhere to start with because of what happened yeah, at West Ham. I think Ramsdale and Ben White's distribution long. Yeah, but Ben Wright running out with it as well handy. now. Running out with it as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, so man. it's going to be interesting to see how it goes. Bring it on. Exactly, Jane. Thanks a lot, Jane. What I'm going to say, I, I love you, man. I love you. You're the best. You're the guy. I love you, right? And I'm going to love you even more when you sat next to me on Monday I'm, Night Football. I'm going to come, Jane. I'm too intimidated. Your suits, Jane. You've gone to another level with your gear as well. You see, like, if- listen. It's not. It's not. It's not too difficult to go to another level when you sat next to Gary Neville. <laughs> he, he's he's getting his from a guy from Huddersfield. Would you believe? Huddersfield. Oh, don't hate on Huddersfield. It's a lovely town. God's County. <laughs> Listen, James, I love you, man. Thanks very much for coming on. You're the governor, bro. I love everything about you. I'll speak to you. James, I'll come. Okay, we'll get it sorted, mate. I'll get on you. God bless you, James. Take it easy, mate. Cheers, righty. Cheers, boys. Thanks a lot. Okay, thank you very much for listening, guys. Thank you very much to Ryan Hun, Mayoa, Mayoa Quadri, and of course, to Jamie Carragher. Thanks for listening, guys. We'll be back next week with more Righty's House. Until then, stay safe.